those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore... Keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. This is the word of the Lord. Oxy, sharp. Moron, dull. So an oxymoron is the use of two or more words that seem to have meaning which ordinarily contradict each other. I've used oxymorons with you before, so I decided to look in the web this week and see what I could find. Maybe some that we've not heard before. You knew I would like this one. Accurate horoscope. (laughs) Approximately equal. Authentic reproduction. Awfully nice. I saw this one just yesterday. Boneless ribs. Civil war. Down escalator. Found missing. Larger half. Non-dairy creamer. Paid volunteer, self-help group. As I drove past the casino on my way in this morning with cars going in and out the parking lot, I liked this one even better. Sure bet. Right after the early service this morning, one of our retired ministers, the Reverend Art McGrew, came up to me and said, you didn't use my favorite one. I said, what's that? And he said, United Methodists. I said, I will use that at 11. I like it. I like it. Scholars called this passage... Mark's Little Apocalypse. Apocalypse, something uncovered, something revealed. Mark uses the language of prophets hundreds of years before his time, that when God intervenes in history, when God shall appear, 
all the heavenly bodies will suddenly cease doing what they normally do. The sun will not shine, the moon will not give light, the stars will start to fall, because surely when God Almighty is manifested, everything changes. Everything. A little apocalypse? Any intervening of God, any manifestation of God, any revealing of God? has to be big, don't you think? Let's take a look. Number one, this passage is about change in time. Last Sunday morning I told you about a fellow named Leonard Beachy. Mr. Beachy is a Mennonite high school teacher. But he's been a faithful Mennonite all of his life and sometimes he writes devotional materials for the Mennonite publications. Someone from Christian Century staff in Chicago decided that he writes well enough he should be invited to write for their magazine. And I had read one of his articles and I've read a second one. Leonard Beachy says that it was just about this time of year when he went to see his mother in an assisted living center and she told him that during the night before she had heard a voice calling her. She got fully awake and realized it was her father's voice. Her father was calling her. He had been dead for 20 years. He said, I tried to dissuade her to convince her that it was just a dream, a nightmare. She said, no, it wasn't a dream and it wasn't a nightmare. It was, it was helpful. It was wonderful, she said. And then she lapsed farther and farther into her dementia. He said, when finally my mother died, I realized that all of those months between this hearing the call of her father and the call of her heavenly father was a kind of twilight for her. That time the Celtic peoples called a twilight time from, from dusk one evening until sun rises the next morning darker and darker and then finally lighter and lighter. A change from the old to the new, from the dark to the light, from the worse to the better. A time of change. Rabbi Abraham Heschel wrote last century in the days of the great civil rights struggle when he marched alongside Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and others, a prophet is a person who knows what time it is. A prophet is someone who knows what time it is. God wants to dawn into this day. God wants to be a part of the solution. God wants us to triumph over evil. God wants us to resist evil, to be peacemakers. God wants us to help him chase away the darkness and bring light. Can we hear a prophetic voice that's trying to tell us what time it is? Number two, did you hear this author, Mark, say over and over, when will this happen? I don't know. When will this happen? The angels don't know. When will this happen? Even the Son, Jesus, doesn't know. Only the Father knows. And so you must be alert, be vigilant, be awake, be aware. Be aware at that very moment when it seems so dark that light will never come again. Be alert. Be awake. Elizabeth Bolton is a pastor in Boston, Massachusetts. 
And she wrote recently about going to Haiti. Uh, she and her husband were told by their guide that Haiti has a really magnificent waterfall and that they should not leave Haiti without seeing it. She asked, how do we get there? He said, we have to walk. How far is it, she asked. Fifteen minutes, maybe twenty. So they decided they would do it first thing the next morning. They had breakfast, she said. We put on our best hiking shoes. We slathered ourselves with sunscreen, sprayed ourselves with insect repellent, put on our sunglasses, and hiked off behind the guide. When we had walked an hour, I asked, How much farther is it? He said, Fifteen minutes, maybe twenty. And so we walked another hour, and I asked, How much farther is it? He said, Fifteen minutes, maybe twenty. I didn't know whether to cry or die, she said. I sat down there under this canopy of trees and realized that a woman had been walking behind us all this time carrying a big basket of oranges on her head. And she sat down beside me, lowered the basket down into her lap, and handed me one of her oranges. And while we peeled our oranges and ate, she said to me, You know we have a saying in Haiti, When you cross mountains, there are more mountains. And Elizabeth said, I immediately thought of my father, who worked years in a soup kitchen, a day center for the homeless. Every day he fed the hungry. He fed the hungry and fed the hungry and fed the hungry. And when finally he came to the end of his life, guess what? The very next day there were more hungry lined up to be fed. When you cross mountains, there are more mountains. Seemingly endless stream of, of the hurting and the dying of the sick. Every Sunday I ask those who meet us in the library to pray, to help us pray for all of our educators and our musicians and our clergy. But once we get to the altar, we're going to pray the list that's on our heart. I have a list. I call the name of every member of my family every night before I sleep. I call the name to God. Not just my Tulsa family here. I start with my mother, my brother and his wife, their two sons, their spouses, three grandchildren. My sister, her husband, her two sons, their spouses, grandchildren. But I have a list of you too. A list of you. And every time we bury someone from that list, you know what? It seems there are two more that need to be added. Two more names. Two more names. Another name, another name, another name. People are, that are critically ill, I know, are fighting a battle of life and death. And I pray. How much farther? Fifteen minutes, maybe twenty. Fifteen minutes, maybe twenty. She said, I finished my orange, stood up and said, How much farther? And he said, Fifteen minutes, maybe twenty. And she said, then we better get going. And we hike some more. And finally I could hear it. I could hear it. The water falling. And I knew what the prophet meant when he said, it will sound like justice. It will sound like righteousness. It will sound like peace dawning into the world. Number three. I like this part where Jesus said, 
It's sort of like a person who goes on a journey, leaving the staff in charge, each to his own work. Each to his own work. Just before Thanksgiving, Amy Henry had an article in the Wall Street Journal talking about the, the Puritans. And she said, we've given the Puritans a really bad name, and in many cases unjustly so. We have talked about the Puritans as if all they ever wanted to do was work, work, work. And she said, that's not true. It's not true. And in her article, she quoted various things that Puritans had written that, that said life is about joy. It's about great joy. But the Puritans did bring something to the table, she said. And that was the idea that in their time, people who went into ministry who worked for the church, were doing a noble work, and everybody else was doing something less than that. And she said, the Puritan said, no, no. Any job done with all of one's ability, with all of one's heart, that benefits another is good work. It's good work. She said they followed the Presbyterian Catechism, which asked at one point, and what is the purpose of man, was the way it used to say. What is the purpose of man but to glorify God and enjoy him forever? But Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do people light candles and put them under bushels. No, but on candlesticks so that they give light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good work and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And the Puritan said, do your work well. It glorifies God. Do your work well. It will glorify God. Number four. Though Mark has this little apocalypse, these words taken almost verbatim from the great prophets hundreds of years before him, Jesus' statements immediately follow in Mark's gospel where Jesus said, Look at the fig tree. When you see it putting on leaves, you can be sure summer is near. The very spot where my grandmother, grandfather Biggs lived, my mother and father tore down an old house just before it fell down and built a place for a retirement home. And they had 20 wonderful years there. And now my brother and his wife are buying the farm and the house that my mother and father lived in their last years. My mother now in an assisted living center. Uh, they've updated, upgraded. It's, it's a lovely home, and, and uh, part of my family and I got to stay there this, this uh, holiday. As I looked out the kitchen window, I could see a fig tree. It has no leaves on it now, but I know it's a fig tree because I've been picking figs off it uh, for over half a century. I know it's a fig tree. It's been there a long, long time. But I also know that fig trees are sort of like crepe myrtles up here in Oklahoma. They love hot weather. And when spring is passing and summer is coming, the fig trees begin to leaf out. And if they have a little water, the hot weather makes them produce wonderfully well. The hotter it gets, the better. If they just have a little bit of water, they make more and more figs. Everybody in the Middle East knew about fig trees, how wonderful the figs were. So when Jesus talks about fig trees, he knows they all know what he's talking about. 
Dr. Brandon Scott at Phillips Theological Seminary says, what Jesus is adding to this conversation is, don't wait for the sun to quit giving light. Don't wait for the moon to quit giving light. Don't wait for the stars to fall. Whenever you see a fig tree bud and put on leaves, the kingdom of God is really near. To this generation, to this generation, the kingdom of God is so near. And Luke seems to pick up on that exactly because in his gospel, Jesus says not only the fig trees, but and all the trees. Just pick a tree. If it's leafing out, God is present. God is dawning a new day, a new beginning, a new hope, a new possibility of joy and peace in the world. Trust that God is at work and join him every opportunity you have in his work. You see Robert Reynolds' story? said he grew up in Ohio, moved to Huron as a young adult, got a job working on a steamer that plowed its way up and down the Great Lakes, got married, he and his wife started their family. They got to one Christmas time and he had had a really good year. I mean, he worked hard, long hours, but those long hours had paid off. He said to his wife, I think we should do something for somebody who doesn't have as much as we do. She said, how will we find them? He said, I'll start asking around. I'll make a call or two. And surely enough, he was told about a family, a mother with six children. The father had died very suddenly and much too young. Asked how old are the children? He was told approximate ages. So he and his wife went shopping. They bought presents, wrapped them, put them in a great big sack and drove over to the house. He said, I walked up onto the front porch, knocked lightly at the door, and a little girl came to the door. Big, beautiful brown eyes. And I said, young lady, Santa Claus asked me if I would bring these presents to your house. May I leave them with you? And she nodded her head. And I asked, what is your name? And she said, Dorothy. And I said, Dorothy. I hope you and your family have a very Merry Christmas. I waved to her, got in my car, and drove away. Well, he said years later, my job took me to a different part of Ohio, but my wife and I remembered how much we'd enjoyed Huron, and so when retirement years came, we moved back to Huron. We were completing our house. I was lifting something too heavy. I had pains in my chest. I was rushed to the doctor. He said, you need heart bypasses. Not here in Huron. You need to go to Sandusky. So he said, here I was in the hospital in Sandusky the night before my surgery, or the next morning, and I wasn't sleeping. I was tossing and turning and tossing and turning. So finally I pushed the button and a nurse came, and I said, I cannot sleep. She said, where are you from? I'm from Huron, he said. Really, she said. I grew up there. I loved it, but it was difficult. My father died too young. My mother had six children to look after. He said, I looked in her face. I looked at her eyes. I said, Dorothy? She said, yes. He said, do you remember one Christmas when a crazy guy put a bag of toys and gifts on your front porch and said Santa Claus had sent him? She said, yes. Well, he said, I was he. 
And she said, okay, then what you need to do is try to get some sleep and let me and the team who works here repay a favor from many years ago.